This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. This week on Sling, you've got the next series of Copa Libertadores games, uh, including River Plate against uh, Fluminense. Next week on Sling is the, the next round of Euro 2024 qualifiers, as well as UEFA Nations League semifinals, all the way through to the final, all of it on Sling. So definitely check that out in terms of those select games. Uh, I'm Christopher Harris. I'm the host of the World Soccer Talk podcast, and I'm joined here with uh, my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're actually going to talk about Champions League. Yes, we know it's uh, not until Saturday, but you know, obviously a massive game, Manchester City against uh, Inter Milan. Uh, this week, uh, CBS Sports have announced uh, some of their coverage details, which we'll go through in, in a few minutes. But after that, I want to have a discussion I want to find out more about the Champions League in terms of why this, for some, there's a, a love-hate relationship with the competition. Uh, so, a lot of fans or, or listeners may uh, may know or have seen, uh, you know, whether it's Barcelona fans booing the, the Champions League uh, anthem, Liverpool fans, Man City fans, etc. So we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit later, as well as too, we're going to play some clips too from the uh, from a question I asked. Uh, Jamie Carragher, Thierry Henry, and uh, Micah Richards about the uh, Champions League, but specifically about Manchester City and whether or not the financial fair play black cloud that's over hanging over their heads um, would might taint the uh, Champions League um, win if City does win it. And if they do win it, of course, they get the treble. So we'll, we'll get to, to that a little bit later. Uh, Kartik, uh, first up, uh, in terms of CBS's uh, coverage of uh, the Champions League final, they're doing seven and a half hours, Manchester City against uh, Inter, and the coverage begins in the morning, seven and a half hours. They've got a a pregame show uh, on CBS and uh, Paramount Plus. Um, The actual coverage on CBS and Paramount Plus the pre-game coverage begins at 1.30 Eastern time. And then you've got the the actual, which is actually the UEFA Champions League Today show. It's going to be on on-site in uh, Istanbul, Turkey, hosted by Kate Abdo. And they're going to be pitch side. So they're not going to be in a studio in the stadium. They're actually going to be on the pitch. So you've got uh, Thierry Henry, Jamie Carragher, uh, Michael Richards, uh, also Guillaume Balaguer, and Peter Schmeichel uh, providing pitch side reports. What's your take so far in terms of what you've heard about uh, the coverage plans? And you mean, is this something that, that excites you, Kartik? Well, and also I should mention Guillaume Balaguer uh, has uh, taped a uh, five-part series uh, of uh, European Nights, a documentary on European Nights that will be released on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I, I believe if you listen to this on Tuesday, it comes out on Tuesday. Uh, uh, so look for that on Paramount+, Plus as well, European Nights. Yeah, it, it's extensive uh, coverage plans, beginning with that European Nights uh, documentary, as I mentioned, uh, uh, five parts uh, starting on, uh, on Tuesday. And uh, the seven and a half hours uh, dedicated to the final uh, across uh, all of these different platforms. It's extensive. It shows CBS is really now in their sweet spot and their comfort zone in terms of broadcasting UEFA Champions League. 
and uh, they have a potpourri of, uh, of talent. In fact, you know, I, I watched Peter Schmeichel and Micka Richards the other day on, uh, on uh, I guess Peter Schmeichel was on ITV and Micka Richards was on, uh, no, 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 they were both on the BBC. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, CBS has been able to get some, some of the best talent uh, uh, in terms of former players who are on uh, – Networks in the UK, obviously, Jamie Carragher is on Sky, and uh, they have uh, people who've been on ITV as well, Thierry Henry, etc. So uh, this is a really, really built out presentation. Uh, My only uh, concern is that maybe um, they should do more to integrate their Serie A team and their Serie A broadcasters into this presentation because there is a Serie A club uh, in this final, as there has been in every European final, right? All three European competitions, Serie A teams in the final. Yeah, and I think we'll see some of that on the CBS uh, Sports uh, Galassa network with uh, you know, Mike Grella and some of the other uh, cast from the Serie A show uh, sharing their analysis um, prior to uh, the actual pregame coverage on CBS Sports. But yeah, but, but yeah, Kartik, I mean, it's a good point because, I mean, to me, like when I look at the CBS Sports crew, they're all likable characters, right? There's, it's hard to think of, you mean, if you had a, a blank piece of paper right now and you said, okay, put, put together the best crew of uh, talent to do, you know, a pregame, halftime and postgame coverage, um, some of the, the, the biggest stars from around the world who would really, really be good an- analysts. It'd be hard to come up with a list that's better than this. Now, not everyone likes the style, right? In terms of... Um, which, which Michael Richards uh, said that this week too. When we when we talked to him, he said, "Okay, sometimes when we when it's going to be a segment and it's going to be fun, we go deep into that fun segment. When it's something that's more analytical, we'll go deep into that analytical. When it's something a little bit maybe um, a topic that's say an important topic such, such as racism, we go deep into that. So, so they're able to kind of try different things, and and not everyone's going to, going to like that." But um, but yeah, to me, it's really hard to think of a crew, a talent crew that would be better than this. And, and that's the thing too. They're all, to me, they're all likable. So so big plans there. Um, the only tough thing I think for CBS Sports, and this is completely out of their control, is that Manchester City doesn't have a huge fan base in the US. Uh, neither does Inter Milan. And yes, there are lots of Inter Milan fans and lots of Manchester City fans. But it's not like last year's final, where it was Real Madrid against Liverpool. Last year's final was the most watched UEFA Champions League final in the history of US television. And it's going to be really difficult to to beat that. But you hope that no matter you're you're a fan of whatever club it is, right, or no clubs, that you'll still still watch this game. Because the game itself should be fantastic. Now, Kartik... um, we kind of mentioned it on, on the opening too. There is a love-hate relationship with the UEFA Champions League too, and this happens uh, with many soccer fans around the world. Not everyone kind of thinks of it as the the perfect tournament uh, in in many different ways. And um, and I mentioned too that you do hear from time to time you do do hear fans booing the the, the champions anthem. It's quite likely that you, you'll have Manchester City fans booing that anthem this Saturday. Now, Kartik, as a lifelong Manchester City supporter, uh, how would you describe your perception of UEFA 
and how they run their business, especially when it comes to their financial fair play exploits. And can you tell us why uh, fans such as City and other clubs uh, boo that anthem? Well, financial fair play, I firmly believe, and we can get into a deeper discussion about this uh, sometime, and maybe we'll get into a little bit of it on on this show, is a mechanism that was designed to protect the established order, the established big clubs. It is great if you're Bayern or Manchester United or Real Madrid. It effectively puts a ceiling on who can challenge you and who can compete with you. And it favors uh, economically wealthy clubs. I've made this point for years that let's just take uh, the two prominent A clubs, clubs that start with an A in the Premier League, Aston Villa and Arsenal. Arsenal is always going to be able to spend significantly more than Aston Villa because they're in a wealthier area, they have much higher ticket prices, and they have a bigger stadium. So already when you uh, apply financial fair play, there is an artificial ceiling on how aspirational Aston Villa, which is a huge club, traditionally massive club, the biggest club in the second largest city in Britain, uh, uh, or second largest city in England, um, whether they can challenge Arsenal. So I, I don't like financial fair play, and this is why a lot of Manchester City supporters um, don't like this competition and don't like UEFA. So, um, look, Manchester United f- fans, they claim they've suffered. I've, I've seen all kinds of comments in the last 48 hours how they're suffering and City has bought this and they've, they've struggled. These Manchester United supporters who are complaining, they probably have never seen their team finish below seventh in the Premier League, right? That's suffering, finishing seventh. Well, I've been through three relegations with Manchester City. I've been in a p- position where in a third division playoff, we needed a miracle, a, a Paul Dickoff goal and then stoppage time, all of this, uh, to, 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 uh, to just get back to the second division when we play uh, uh, Gillingham in, uh, in, in, a, in a playoff final, whose manager, by the way, was Tony Pulis. Um, so I think financial fair play and UEFA um, are – financial fair pay is a scheme from UEFA to protect – the big clubs. It protects Bayern. It protects Manchester United. It protects Real Madrid. It protects the clubs with bigger stadiums that have more commercial revenue and who, um, quite frankly, uh, can charge more for tickets, except in the case of Bayern. I give Bayern credit on that. That's another reason why I think there's a love-hate relationship with the Champions League. I'll, I'll leave you on this note. If you're a Bayern fan or you're a Borussia Dortmund fan and you're used to paying certain ticket prices, you're a member of your club, you go to Arsenal. Let's say you draw Arsenal. Uh, so let's I'm not meaning to pick on Arsenal, but Arsenal has outrageously high ticket prices, right? I don't know how any working class uh, person can can afford uh, tickets to uh, go to the Emirates. If you're a Borussia Dortmund or Bayern fan or a Borussia Mönchengladbach, one of these German clubs, and you draw Arsenal in a Champions League group stage, you're probably paying more for a ticket for that one game than you do for your entire season in the Bundesliga. And guess what? The Bayern fans a couple of years ago very rightly protested that in a very public way. So that's another reason why uh, Champions League is, is something that I think uh, rubs a lot of us the wrong way. Do you think, Kartik, that might have been when UEFA came up with the initial plan for financial fair play, FFP, that that was unintended consequences? Or did they intentionally try to protect the, the bigger clubs in the big, uh, bigger cities around Europe? 
Uh, no, it wasn't unintentional. The biggest advocates for it right away was Bayern specifically. Uh, and uh, you had Uli Honus and, and Raminigate sounding off about uh, the amount of money at the time Chelsea was spending and, and you know, what a threat that was, which is why I thought it was really kind of poetic when Chelsea won a Champions League final against Bayern in their own stadium. I, I, I personally enjoyed that a great deal. I thought it was a, a great deal of karma coming back on them. No, I think it was concocted to help the big clubs to ensure also from UEFA's standpoint that it would always be the most marketable clubs in a position to win this competition. I can understand it a little bit from UEFA's position. You just mentioned they have an inter-Manchester City final. This is not as lucrative as having a Real Madrid-Liverpool final last year or having a, a, a Barcelona-Bayern final or, or that, sort of, that sort of final. So um, this is partly a protection from UEFA uh, for, to, keep, uh, to ensure that it's a big club competition, that it's the big clubs that dominate uh, and that way they can get more for media rights deals. They can get more in terms of uh, travel and ticket sales. Do you think in a way, though, too, this uh, final uh, will give will basically motivate uh, the players and Pep and whether they'll actually use that or even with the fans to motivate the fans to really give it their all in order to to stick it to UEFA? Yeah, I, I think that uh, uh, now that City is in the position to win the, the, the Champions League against a very good Inter team, by the way, I, I, I don't like uh, the, just the assumption in the English press that Inter uh, isn't a, a good side. Serie A, to me, was the best league in Europe this year. So the fact that they didn't win their league and Manchester City did win their win the Premier League, which I thought was kind of an inferior league, uh, at least at the top, to Serie A. Maybe top to bottom, the Premier League was the best league in Europe. I, I, I should correct myself. But I think at the very top, like the top six or seven was better in Italy than any other league uh, in Europe. Uh, I, I do think that this is an opportunity for Manchester City fans to stick it to UEFA, uh, to get that monkey off their back. I mean, look, I, I think something that was very telling is Pep doesn't talk about Champions League very much. He um, has consistently taken the line that winning the domestic league is the most important thing. Uh, and that's his view as a former player. And he's now won seven Premier League. Has he won seven Premier League titles? Uh, uh, I mean, he's won five Premier League titles. Man City's won seven. But uh, he's won five Premier League titles. So, um, and uh, four League Cups and now uh, two FA Cups. I do think he now feels like this is a missing piece. And in terms of him as a manager, there is still the knock that he has never won the Champions League without Xavi, Iniesta, and Messi. So at Bayern, he had three teams that were very good that got to the semifinals and lost. And at City, he's had some very good teams that have lost in the semifinals or the finals. So I, I think that's something for him personally he wants to uh, prove. Yeah, the, the irony here, Kartik, is that, uh, of course, Manchester City... Um UEFA went after Manchester City uh, based on financial fair play and uh, had allegations that they broke the FFP rules. City took the, the case to CAS, um, where it was overturned. So it could have been easily that uh, UEFA might have banned Manchester City uh, from playing in, uh, in the Champions League as punishment. Um, meanwhile, the Premier League has uh, has basically has a, a serious amount of, I think, over 100 allegations of uh, fraud from Manchester City where they, they were lying about the, the, the finances. But here's an opportunity for Manchester City to win this game um, and in some ways really kind of... Um, but but, but when, I, when, I, when I think about this, though, too, in some ways, though, too, it, it also works in the, uh, the other way around. Manchester City 
in many ways has made the Champions League and the Premier League probably more exciting. I mean, you've got, to me, the best player in the world right this second, Erling Haaland. But in terms of the way the city's playing, it makes the Premier League more attractive. It makes the Champions League more attractive. At the same time, I would argue that it's raised or increased the value of Premier League rights and Champions League rights, uh, media rights around the world. So bringing more money into the league, um, giving more money to UEFA and to the Premier League. And yes, they share it with the different clubs that are involved. But so, so City has been targeted uh, for breaking FFP rules. And on the other side, actually, <laughs> what they've been able to accomplish has actually probably helped UEFA and the Premier League uh, quite a bit. Yeah, and I want to separate the two things. Manchester City was charged by uh, UEFA for violations of financial fair play. They were uh, they they had the the ban overturned at CAS. I think UEFA was out of line. I think UEFA uh, also uh, has concocted these rules specifically to stop uh, first Chelsea, now, uh, then Manchester City, uh, maybe to a certain extent PSG. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you've seen Milan actually get banned from European competition for a year, right? At one point. Uh, but now Newcastle will be the club that they come after. Uh, and uh, so that's one thing. The Premier League case against Manchester City, I have a very different opinion of, about because I think um, Manchester City may have been dishonest and may have been, um, uh, uh, you know, really kind of uh, uh, prevaricating in terms of giving evidence uh, to the league in complying with league rules. I think that's something very different. Uh, I, I guess the more immediate financial fair play concern with the Premier League uh, – Obviously, this this Manchester City thing ongoing, but is the the Everton situation because I, I I've heard some snickers in the last week that there's anger um, at some of the relegated clubs, uh, recently relegated clubs, Leeds and uh, and uh, Leicester about Everton, who we know has financial fair play problems um, that not being applied this season. So maybe that's a more immediate FFP concern for the Premier League. But uh, yeah, I, I do think the value of both competitions has increased because of Manchester City's quality, especially in the Pep era. And I do think there is a certain spectacle involved in the Premier League that uh, Manchester City has provided specifically for that league. Now for UEFA and the Champions League, you could argue if you pull Manchester City out and you pull put in another English club that doesn't qualify at Spurs, or, or Arsenal or whoever, depending on the season, uh, that there isn't really a drop-off. But I think for the Premier League, turning a big four, because let's face it, uh, some of uh, our listeners may not remember, the Premier League had become incredibly pr- predictable uh, before the takeover of Chelsea and the takeover of Manchester City. And even after the Chelsea takeover, you had a big four, right? That was locked in every year. Everton would finish fifth. Aston Villa would finish sixth. Uh, and generally, that's how it went. Aston Villa finished sixth three straight seasons. I think Everton may have finished fifth uh, three straight seasons. Spurs had a couple seasons where they got to fifth and then they they dropped off, uh, but then they came back. I think the emergence of Spurs and Manchester City, those two clubs, uh, obviously emergence in different ways for different reasons. Uh, I think Spurs, because of geography, being in, in North London um, at a time when um, 
the, the, the Premier League became more cosmopolitan in, in people's uh, viewing preferences of it, and then Manchester City, because of the takeover, have transformed the Premier League into a more compelling and interesting competition globally. Now Newcastle probably is another spark on that. Newcastle cracking the top four this year. Uh, Newcastle has silly money, right? It has money that even makes Manchester City look poor. Uh, Newcastle has the ability to really kind of change the, uh, the trajectory of the Premier League and turn it into, and I know some people are going to hate hearing this, turn it into the actual Super League. Um, maybe you're one more takeover away in England of, of a big club. Uh, Leeds would be the one you would think of because it's in a big city and it, and it kind of got uh, a shaky ownership uh, situation. But a club like Leeds or even if more money got pumped into an Aston Villa uh, or Everton, those sorts of clubs, you're really like one takeover away from the Premier League becoming the Super League. Yeah, I wonder actually with FFP, whether it's even worth having it, whether, whether it's better to have just uh, unlimited uh, salaries, you know what I mean, and, and, and essentially no restrictions because at this point in time, you've got uh, teams such as, I mean, like countries <laughs> such as Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, uh, UAE, etc., cetera, uh, investing in clubs in Europe, not just England, but in, in Europe. And um, I, I guess in a, in a way... What I would like to see is some protection. So, that, for example, if Saudi Arabia says, okay, you know what, Newcastle United, we've decided we're going to go ahead and sell the club. We're going to move on to – we're going to buy a different club and, and, and leave Newcastle to give some type of protection so there isn't like a massive void left where nobody can afford um, whatever they were paying. But 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 what's your take on this, Kartik? Is FFP – is it better to just to kind of rip it up and throw it out or – uh, come up with something different or better or why why do we need this i mean the the market can decide there's no there's no great crisis of clubs going out of business in in uh in england now in terms of uh, uh there's no great crisis of clubs that qualify for uefa competitions going out of business i mean there've been a few there was a club in, in in romania a few years ago that qualified for champions league more than a few years ago now it's been more like 15 years ago that went out of business a year later okay but um this idea that spending has to be reined in is is nonsense. Okay, we want investment in this sport. We want people to put their money into this sport. That elevates the sport. I, I have never seen something where uh, in, in a capitalist system where you say, you know what, we really don't want investment. We don't want money coming in. I mean, it, it's the beginning of kind of the Americanization of, of, of European football. I mean, where you have all these artificial caps and these, these things designed ostensibly to promote competition, but in reality does the opposite. It prevents competition. It, it limits its investment it it, it it this idea that stability is more important than the competition is a concept that i quite frankly do not understand and i don't know why ffp even exists yeah that's a good point i mean my thing was more protection as far as them going out of business but they're not going to go out of business but there might be a a, a gaping difference you know our, our friend stefan stefan simanski yep. consistently points out uh in in his lectures he's a professor at the university of michigan uh that there is no um, uh, crisis of football clubs in Europe going out of business. He has numerous examples where clubs were in major financial trouble and they were bought. Bolton is a recent example, right? Uh, Wigan is a recent example in, 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 in the UK. We have a number of examples in, in, in France and Spain in recent years. These clubs just don't go out of business. Uh, in the U.S., they do in the closed system where you have all sorts of restrictions and pro league standards and stuff. So uh, FFP is 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 
is, is meaningless other than limiting competition protecting the top clubs from uh, one of those uh, 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 clubs I may have mentioned, uh, aspiring to, to punch up uh, above their current weight and, and challenge them. So last question, Kartik, before we move on to talking about uh, listener mailbag, is if Manchester City is found guilty of um, violating and, and, and fraud uh, in terms of the Premier League, um, should they have their title taken away from them, which would, if they do win this weekend, uh, I mean, it basically effectively makes that, that, that they don't win the treble, treble, they would just win the double. Well, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, the, the, this season is not one of the seasons uh, under inquiry. In fact, Manchester City has been in compliance with FFP uh, by any standard, Premier League standard, uh, UEFA standard, since about the 2017-2018 season. Now, you could question whether the two titles, Premier League titles, now we're not even talking about Champions League, Premier League titles are the one under Mancini and the one under Pellegrini, so that would be, uh, what, the 11-12 season and the 13 14 season. You can question whether those maybe should be stripped and vacated. I don't like the idea of giving it to the second place team because you know if, if you're taking a team out of the competition, you then have to uh, you you would have to replay the competition in my opinion. So I, I don't like I, if if those titles were to get stripped, they would be vacated. But the reality is, I mean, look, I mean, I just did a, a piece for Beyond the Ninety about transfers, and I, I mean, I can't believe um, the number of, of, of transfers that. Manchester United and Chelsea have made the last couple of years where Manchester City have been bidding for the same player and have backed off and said, you know what, we don't want to pay $60 million for Kukurea. You know what, we don't want to pay $40 million for Alexis Sanchez. We don't want to pay $45 million for Fred or whatever it was. So um, City have reined in their spending. They have reined in uh, their wage bill, and they are very much in compliance with FFP. It has no bearing on this season. It has no bearing on these three titles in a row in, in the Premier League. I don't believe it has any bearing on the uh, previous two titles Pep won either. But uh, just to reiterate, it does potentially call into question the Mancini title, the dramatic that's the most dramatic moment in Premier League history right? And then the 13-14 title which was a very good team under Manuel Pellegrini. Those two titles um, would be the ones potentially impacted and, and uh, they could be stripped. I mean, I'm, I'm very realistic about that. I'm, uh, I'm hoping that's not what it comes to, but we'll see uh, uh, wh- wh- where this goes from here on that. Yeah, that, that would be sad though, Kartik. That's probably, out of the history of the Premier League, the one moment, the, the, the high point, right? The most exciting yeah. end to a Premier League season, and if that's stripped away in the history books, it'll, it'll be an asterisk, right? It'll be kind of like, well, actually, that title was removed. So, it takes away a little, a little bit of that... Uh, excitement and, and just you know, complete chaotic fandom that happened at the end of that game. So that's why ultimately I don't think they'll get stripped of titles. I think that's the doomsday scenario, but there could be some other consequence. Um, but yes, if they did get stripped of titles, it would be the two I mentioned, and that would mean the most iconic moment in recent English football history. That and, uh, I guess, the Michael Thomas goal, right, for uh, Arsenal in 1989 against Liverpool. Those would be your two takeaway moments from the last 50 years, really. All right, let me go ahead and uh, play the clip from CBS Sports uh, with their take on the question about uh, Manchester City and uh, the treble pursuits. And this is in regards to Manchester City. If they do win the treble this weekend, do you think there's going to be some perhaps maybe a perception or a tinge 
of uh, almost like a black cloud of, of all of the FFP violations hanging over their heads in terms of... No, no, no I don't <laughs> think so, because they're innocent until proven guilty. I mean, people are going to talk, and that's fine. They can talk about it. And if they, you know, are proven guilty, we can have that conversation then. But until now, you know, they, they said they're innocent, and we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to trust that. But, yeah, if down the line... If they were proven guilty, then that's another conversation. But for all the for all the staff, all the players, the hard work they're putting, you know, it's only really the opposition teams who are gonna talk about a tinge. I, I, I don't think so personally, because they've not been found guilty. I don't know what the other guys think. I think Mike, if they are found guilty, they should have the treble taken off them. I, I think if they are found guilty of whatever it is. They should be a harsh punishment. Of course, they should. I'm a big advocate of that. Definitely. So I, 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 you're, I you're, a big, that. you're a big advocate of punishment. Yeah, I think you've got to be real, haven't you? If they are found guilty, of course, but they're not. So that's why I'm on the side of they've done no wrong. No, I'm, 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 no, I'm, I'm not the same because I'm like nothing comes out that. If nothing happened, nothing happened. You know, people speculate. Don't, if it's not a speculation anymore, then we can talk about it. I don't like too much to speculate. We always have those talk with Kate sometimes with the bracket and stuff like that. I don't like to speculate so much. So, all I know they play well and they can win the treble at the moment. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, Mike has a question, which is actually uh, a good segue. He wants to talk about the salary cap. And Mike says, uh, what are your thoughts, Kartik, about a salary cap for European soccer? Having teams such as Bayern Munich and Manchester City dominate their leagues is not good for the game. I uh, don't favor salary caps at all. I think that that's a, a restriction on trade. I think it is a way of suppressing wages. That's why salary caps are so popular in American sports. They say, and the fans buy it. American fan, a lot of American fans of American sports are very sheepish in their uh, uh, adherence to what owners tell them and what the NBA and NFL tell them. Um, uh, salary caps are not because they want to create more competition. Salary caps are because they want to limit the wages of the players who are the workers. So I do not favor salary caps. I do think, uh, Mike, though, the idea of a luxury tax like you have in Major League Baseball is something you could do. You could then put a tax on the clubs that overspend uh, or, or spend more than others, and then that goes back into the pot, and that helps the other clubs. Uh, it's, it's an idea that I think uh, has worked well in Major League Baseball. It has made Major League Baseball more competitive. At one time, baseball wasn't as competitive, and you had the Yankees constantly winning and, 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 and other teams. Uh, uh, the Florida Marlins bought a World Series effectively, right? They bought a team uh, one year. And uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Chris, you might remember that, right? You were living down here at the time. Um, so that, th- that has stopped because of the luxury tax. I think the luxury tax has really worked in baseball where there are still teams that spend a lot more money than others, but there is a pot and there is revenue sharing. And so if you have a luxury tax, you can then increase revenue sharing. The Premier League already um, shares revenue on, uh, in terms of TV and, and, and league place better than the other leagues in Europe. In fact, uh, Leicester probably came out of this season having been relegated with more revenue than, um, let's say, uh, Inter. Well, Inter is in the Champions League final, so that's a bad example. Uh, but uh, Atalanta, who finished fifth in, in, in Italy, right? Well, or or, or uh, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, uh, we, we did an article about this at worldsoccertalk.com last week. And the amount of t- TV revenue that Barcelona uh, uh, got from La Liga, you mean, so, you mean, all, all the, you mean, the billions from around the world, the amount of revenue that Barcelona got was equivalent to what Nottingham Forest got at the end of the season. So that just gives you an idea in terms of... You mean- yeah, there was one season uh, not long ago, I remember I wrote an article about it, where Juventus got less television revenue from all their competitions than Bournemouth had. Yeah, it, that just gives you an idea. I mean, now, now a lot of these European clubs, I would argue, spend the money better than the Premier League clubs. You mean, you mean in terms of... You, you can look at Everton as a perfect, perfect example... Um, of what what can go wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> yeah, an extreme right. example, but yeah, but correct. Right. Yes. All right, let's move on to uh, Dan. Dan wants to talk to us about MLS season pass. I listened to your take on the Apple announcement. I think what's most important is who made the announcement. Apple is a public company, so they can't lie in an announcement like that. My guess is that the free offer of the MLS season pass brought questions from investors as opposed to any worry about criticism within the soccer community. So the game here is one that's played by other streaming platforms. They speak to subscribers, but not revenue. The real question is, what percentage of subscriptions are bought and how many are free? We have to take uh, at face value what they've said about subscription and viewer numbers. The announcement was intended to mollify investors, in my opinion, they will have to figure out how to keep subscribers when free trials end. Yeah, and Dan raises uh, some good points here. Uh, I don't completely agree with it. I think I think there is uh, within the sports community. I wouldn't say soccer community, but in terms of sports media, uh, where we're hyper focused on, I mean, viewing numbers and which leagues are doing better than other leagues. Uh, and Dan mentions too that. Um, you mean not to focus, kind of, uh, not 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 to take at face value what they've said about Apple has said about subscription and viewer numbers. Well, the reality is they've said nothing about subscription and viewer numbers other than that they're happy and it's above expectations. So, so that that that's something completely different to me. It's just them saying, okay, we're happy, but uh, yeah, that that's very very vague uh, indeed. Uh, Dermot says, there is obviously a problem with the take-up in subscriptions as far as people signing up. There is no better publicist for Major League Soccer than uh, Commissioner Don Garber. I'm sure if uh, subscribers were anywhere near those that Apple were told they would be, um, Don Garber would be shouting the numbers from the rooftops. Next up is Bill. Bill says, uh, MLS week one and two, when all games were open to watch, I watched Atlanta United and rekindled my love of the team and that stadium for home games. My son and I are founders for the first season in Major League Soccer, got tons of emails asking for our opinions, uh, even down to what local food, not a chain, uh, to bring into the Mercedes-Benz Stadium and asking uh, for price points, uh, recommendations on the menus. I got Fox Sports South for me to watch in North Carolina and my son in uh, Connecticut. There is a plaque in the Mercedes-Benz Arena with our names on it as first season ticket holders. The whole experience uh, made me feel like I was part of a family and part of something totally different. So then I bought MLS Season Pass for $100.00 thinking uh, 30-something matches, it's roughly $3 a game, that's fine. I got one email with the account information, 
and then zero contact from them after that. No, how are we doing emails? No, thank you emails, nothing. So I canceled my subscription a few weeks ago since I don't want them to order renew me for next season. Guess what I got back? Nothing. No sorry to see you go email. No why did you leave us email? Nothing. It's a great local regional sport and a very boring national product. Wow. We, uh, we, wow. We, yeah. we said that a few podcasts ago where – oh, actually, it might have been in an article at worldsoccertalk.com where we said that there needs to be better communication. That, you mean, you sign up for MLS season pass. You should be receiving an email or MLS or Apple should be creating an email that goes out you know, every Wednesday that says, hey, here's what's coming up this weekend. We've got this happening. We've got – I mean, like, for example, this past weekend, Kartik – uh, I didn't know it was happening until I tuned, I tuned in, but um, I'm not a big Ted Lasso fan. I, I watched season one, loved it. Season two was okay. Um, but they had one of the, one of the stars uh, from Ted Lasso on the show. And I think they had somebody else there too. But they ha- Yeah, I saw the tweet. I saw the tweet like a half an hour before. Yeah, the I didn't see the tweet. So I tuned in. I was like, okay, oh, wow. Okay, I was like, that's, that's different. I'm, I'm sure that's going to... You may make a lot of Ted Lasso fans happy or more interested to see what uh, uh, it was the the character Danny um, has has to say about Major League Soccer, and they seemed to be really excited. Also, Taylor Twelman was there too, so he was on set. So I thought, okay, why, why isn't there no communication either to the media, myself, uh, and ourselves, but also to more importantly to the actual soccer fans? And I think in terms of um, what what uh, what Bill says here too. Uh, in terms of, uh, I mean, lack of communication, nothing, nothing. And I think what it may be is just everything was so last minute that that's one of the things they didn't get around to doing. And hopefully in the future they, they do. But but who owns that email address? I mean, so when you subscribe to Apple TV, you're subscribing through Apple. So then Apple, does Apple have permission then to send you emails, updates? I mean, I, they do it through the phone. So I would think that they would, would be able to go ahead and actually email, but then MLS would be the ones creating the content. But I don't know. So it's I, I have I have other subscriptions through Apple T uh, Apple TV, uh, and I get email updates from them. Okay, um, so okay. maybe it's a maybe it's an MLS relationship thing potentially. I don't know. Could be it could be maybe Apple thinking that MLS should do it, and MLS thinking that Apple should do it, or it's just something they haven't gotten around to doing. But um, but good points by Bill, and, and, and we've heard that from a lot of people too. That uh, a lot of fans that have been around a long time just feel that they've been shortchanged. Unfortunately, uh, next up is Dave. Dave says the Apple statement um, that was played on last week's podcast um, is bizarre. Did they feel pressure to dispel out op, uh, opt-out rumors? Uh, the statement shuts the door on that as a medium-term uh, concern. But who seriously thought that Apple would terminate its experiment in the first few years? As a rule of thumb, good news communications are heavy on data and light on puffery. Strong data speaks for itself, while weaker data uh, is supplanted by adjectives and spin. Kartik's Peacock example resonates. Uh, their statements became much more direct once they achieved strong results with the World Cup and Premier League, etc. Providing no specific data while taking no questions sends a clear message, a very surprising misstep if early results are, are objectively strong. 
Uh, Jasenio says, I have I have purchased the MLS season pass because, because I thought this would be the best way to support Major League Soccer with all they do offer while not always having the means to go to games on a regular basis. The lack of blackouts, um, magazine shows, and MLS Next are huge pluses to me. And that is before the, the uh, League's Cup, in which um, which is uh, heavily anticipated as someone gr- who grew up with Liga Mekis as the only visible domestic league prior to Major League Soccer. The real problem is that MLS season is, is that the MLS season starts when most of the bigger football leagues, soccer leagues, are at the business end of the season, uh, such as the knockout rounds of the Champions League and domestic cup competitions, uh, to the battle for league title, European places, and the relegation battles. Between all of those, where exactly does MLS fit in uh, other than its Saturday evening something-to-do appeal? If LAFC uh, wins the Ch- CONCACAF Champions League but lags behind the rest of the, re- the, rest of the season, what is that? worth in the long run ask the sounders let's forget about promotion and relegation for now and concentrate on calendar change it shouldn't be that uh, detrimental since games are still held in the fall anyway shift the mls cup to the springtime and and uh, that'll make a great greater appeal when it coincides with the u.s open cup and the Concacaf champions league final this will free up the summer for the major tournaments club friendlies and the league's cup to sum all of this up timing is everything also, uh, MLS and Apple needs to work on an Android app that has yet to materialize. Yeah. Next up is Greg. Greg says, I- uh, go uh, ahead. Uh, I'll just say great point, and I have to reiterate this. I've said this many times, and it gets lost uh, in conversation. I am a big advocate for calendar change, as I think most of you know. I do not believe you can have a viable pro-rel system in the U.S. if you don't shift the calendar. You have to align transfer windows. And if you don't align transfer windows, I, I don't think you get the full effect of ProRel. In fact, it might be uh, in some ways detrimental if you play on the current calendar. So calendar change, I agree with, with, with his comment. Calendar change has to come first. Yeah, yeah. And that might help also CONCACAF Champions League in terms of uh, teams such as LAFC, who, who lost to, to uh, Club Lyon, uh, starting the season, you mean more so having a split season, right? So you're, you're playing... Um, throughout the, the most of the year and having an opportunity to go ahead and uh, be match fit at the top of your game uh, in late May, June, when, when those big games matter uh, in the Champions League. And then last but not least, uh, Greg has a comment. Uh, Greg says, I think um, an interesting uh, thought experiment is to consider what would occur if Major League Soccer teams managed to outcompete Liga MX, uh, Liga MX teams and Conmebol t- club teams in the distant future, say the next 15 years or so. Obviously, this is not going to happen. Uh, this, is, this is not happening now, although they are becoming more competitive every year. But if they do manage to greatly increase their spending and salary cap and begin to win competitions between those other leagues often, I wonder if viewership of games or subscriptions would increase worldwide, so, uh, despite the lack of promotion, relegation, calendar issues, playoff format inconsistencies, etc., with CONMEBOL and, and CONCACAF now agreeing to partner in a club competition, as well as the start of the League's Cup, there are plenty of opportunities for MLS clubs to compete with teams outside the US and Canada, in addition to the CONCACAF Champions League. Although I agree with many of the changes suggested on this podcast, I wonder if simply managing to outcompete the other leagues in, in the region 
or hemisphere is the key to getting more viewers, it would be costly, but perhaps the most effective and efficient way to become more relevant globally. That's a great thought experiment there, Karthik. Any, any thoughts on that one uh, that come top of mind? Yeah, it's a great thought experiment. And, and I do think um, you have a real opportunity to create, if MLS were to get to that level, the sort of competitive club framework you have in uh, in Europe, right? Uh, and, and, and the sort of synergies between leagues that exist with UEFA competitions uh, and, and just kind of uh, governance throughout the uh, – well, throughout this hemisphere, uh, to be equivalent to the governance in Europe. Yeah, I think we're still far far off that though. In terms of just the the gap between MLS and Liga, even Liga Mackies right now, right? So you look at um, you look at the, the best team in in Major League Soccer. I mean, was it LAFC? Would it be New England Revolution right now? Would it be FCC uh, uh, FCC uh, Cincinnati? Based on how they're playing right this second. And then you look at Liga Mekis and look at uh, Club Lyon, who pretty much, I mean, it was a close game over the two legs, but uh, ultimately uh, they, they won both games across both legs. But those uh, Club Lyon's arguably not the best team in, in Liga Mekis. Um, I mean, whether it's Chivas or Tigres, uh, etc. So, I mean, that that's one gap to kind of narrow is just even with Liga Mekis. And I, I think Leagues Cup, is an attempt at that in some ways is that uh, MLS is looking at least cups in okay, I think they're more concerned about actually uh, more focused on trying to win over the fans, trying to get more Liga Mackey's fans to become fans of MLS teams and to get basically a race for the dollars to try to get more of their dollars from their pockets into major league soccer rather than to leagues cup. But however, one way to do in that though too is for MLS clubs to do, really, really well in League's Cup to actually show Liga Mackey's fans that uh, they can battle with these uh, Mexican teams and, and, and maybe perhaps go all the way and win, win the title, and that would win over a huge part of that fan base. Um, yeah, South America is, I think, a different story in terms of uh, you know, whether it's uh, the teams from Brazil or Argentina, etc. Uh, I think uh, you mean, that's a tougher ask, especially you mean, just the way that those teams play uh, Copa Libertadores is, is a good example. I, th- I think, to me, MLS clubs would have a tough time in, in Copa Libertadores. But I think in terms of Greg's uh, thoughts is that um, 15 years from now, perhaps, maybe there's a way to actually kind of close that gap and be competitive at that level rather than concentrating so much on you mean, how uh, MLS teams are doing against uh, European teams in, in summer friendlies, which are relatively meaningless. All right. Okay, uh, listeners, uh, we want you to have your say, so uh, we'd love to read out your comments uh, in future episodes of the podcast. So whether it's through uh, web uh, or the emails or the Facebook or Twitter, uh, etc. Uh, email is web at worldsoccertalk.com. The website is worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, click on podcasts and then click on uh, leave a comment in the most recent episode. Uh, we're also on YouTube, too, so you can leave comments there, youtube.com uh, slash worldsoccertalk, facebook.com uh, slash worldsoccertalk. You can send us a message there, or uh, Twitter, at worldsoccertalk. And then last but not least, um, voicemail, uh, 561-247-4625. 
Kartik, where can listeners uh, find you and uh, the content you create on uh, Beyond uh, the 90? Yeah, you can check us out at beyondthe90.substack.com and then also check me out on Twitter at KKFLA737. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, guys, and uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh, like Kartik said uh, earlier in the podcast, we will be back midweek with an interview with uh, Guillaume Balaguer uh, talking about uh, his new uh, European Adventures uh, Champions League documentary series and uh, speaking on, on that. And then later the week in the week, we'll be back to with, with another topic. So on behalf of everyone at World Soccer Talk, thank you for listening. And Kartik, what are you going to do this week and, and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. <laughs> <laughs>